Hello, lovely listeners. Ed Thomas here, co-founder of Vireal and host for podcast episode one. Welcome to our podcast. This is where we have conversations with our friends and acquaintances from our network. Hope you find it interesting. Now into the show. Welcome to the first episode of the V-Real podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Josh Ahrens, and I'm going to ask Josh in a few sentences, can you summarize who you are and what you do? So um, my name, as you said, is Josh Ahrens. I'm a writer, a director, and um, I guess all-round creative. And I live in Oxfordshire, and um, at the moment, I'm spending most of my time creating original concepts and content for film, TV, music videos, and commercials. So in Oxfordshire, currently, I guess you're in, in the, the COVID-19 lockdown, but what's getting you excited to get up in the morning at the minute? A good point. Um, it is COVID, uh, it is during the COVID-19 lockdown, and um, I actually feel really fortunate and, and grateful to, to live where I live, um, especially during this period, because, you know, the last place I'd want to be right now would be in a major city, yeah, to sort of give you a little bit of context about of me. Um, I'm originally from the Northeast, and uh, I guess for the first half of my life, I spent a lot of it moving around, going to different, living in different towns and cities um, across the country. Um, but most of my time I've spent in London. Um, and so I guess I sort of naively and proudly called myself a city boy. And yeah, how wrong I was. Yeah, about a year ago, a uh, year this August, um, myself, my partner, and couple of friends close friends and um, we decided to leave London and move to a sleepy little village <laughs> in Oxfordshire into a cottage that sort of overlooks endless fields little streams and yeah all sorts of trees flowers and woods and all sorts it's lovely very very nice and so where I am my office it's it's a it's an like an outhouse at the end of the garden it's a converted garage basically and the house owner had uh, turned this into a really cool um, and interesting workspace. And it's got tons of natural light, got desk space, uh, really nice views of the country. And I get excited about coming down here because whatever I get stuck into, I've got the brilliant distraction of the views out my window, which until recently was a lake. Uh, the fields were flooded from all the rain that we've had. And now it's just a field full of yellow uh, daffodils. So yeah, very nice. So. I'm very, very grateful for where I am, and that's what gets me excited. It sounds idyllic. can imagine that it's quite therapeutic and inspirational to have that view when you sit down to write or create something. It's pretty awesome. Definitely. I think like I think you, you it just, just doesn't matter where you are. Um, if you're in a city or if you're you know in the country or in your case on a boat, it's good to be in a, in a place that kind of inspires you um, and for me I didn't really think that I would be quite as inspired by the countryside but yeah it's worked out that way for me and I'll be here until that kind of wears off and I'll, I don't think it will anytime soon so yeah. Do you have any rituals apart from staring out the window to, to help you get in a creative mood? I think it's really important when you're a, a, a self-employed person or freelance personal just working from home in general it's really important to have some kind of routine um, and so yeah my routine always consists of waking up and having a shower the first thing I do is I have a shower and I think it's 
you know, it is, especially during this period of being quarantined and lots of people working from home, it's easy to just sort of stay in bed, open your laptop and think that you're going to get stuff done. But I think it's important to sort of treat every day as if it's a working day. So my alarm generally goes off between uh, like 6.50 and 7.30, depending on if there's a snooze. And then I shower, come downstairs, make a coffee uh, and then come out site in my um, office open up the screen uh, have a little look at what's going on in the world and put some music on and that kind of sets me up for the day and I'm ready to go but coffee is the key component there coffee yeah yeah what about the shower is, is it cold or is it hot what are you what's your thoughts on uh, that I've done it I've done the cold showers um I do actually really like the cold showers uh, yeah Wim Hof I think is the big proponent of that it's yeah, I recommend it. I think if you if if you want a bit of a mix up, you've got to just have a cold shower. I've never done a walk into a cold shower. I have to say, um, I know there's a few other people as well. Big guy on YouTube, Matt Diavella. He 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 did 30 days of cold showers. Um, didn't really like it, um, but he, I think he went in it pretty pretty uh, intensely, going in with the cold shower straight away. You've got to kind of work it down. Start at a medium temperature, work it down to cold. Um, but at the minute, I have to say my my showers are pretty warm. Um, so yeah, not really, not really doing the cold showers. But I did do it for a quite a long time, and I will go back to it at some point. Yeah. Are you doing them? Yeah, I can totally relate. I I did the cold showers for I did a week solid, and I actually felt really good from doing it. But I just didn't have the willpower to keep doing it because that psychological act of turning the tap cold. It's really hard. I couldn't get over the flinch, you know, like that that moment where you start breathing deeply and your body goes into shock. Uh, it wasn't for me, even if it was having positive effects. <laughs> Too much of a win. Yeah. yeah, that is that is it, isn't it? It's the it's that moment. And that's why you can sort of you can avoid the flinch by doing it in a slow slow manner. Um, yeah, I, that was my route. I think i do I don't mind jumping into like a, a cold ocean or something and I definitely do it that way it's not it's not you know a slow walk in if I'm going into the sea you've got to go in all the way immediately otherwise you're just going to be there faffing around for ages but uh yeah cold showers well or just shower and a coffee for me that works nice and then the first thing you do after you've had your coffee you go into your office at the end of the garden and do you start riding straight away or do you have uh, some kind of like warm up things to get you in the mood, or are you are you just smashing straight into your projects and getting going with work? So as I'm as I'm sure I'll explain later on, I do various different things, and and you touched on a few of them there. But I think my day generally starts, and I always it, it sounds weird because a lot of people say you know don't just go straight to your emails. You, you're in a really good space to not be doing your emails now. You should do the things that are most important first. I do agree with that, but at the same time, I and I've tried this quite a lot religiously, um, avoiding emails and going straight into a big meaty project or a, a task that I've got to do. But I just found myself thinking about them and wondering what was going on in them. And in my kind of well, in, in all of our worlds, emails are pretty important. And um, it's not that I don't, you know, I sit and I check my emails all the time. I'm, I'm actually terrible at checking my emails, but I do check them and I check them first thing, have a little look. Um, and I kind of prioritize them in my head. I tend not to even reply to them, but I like to know what I've got. And then I can sort of think about them and come back to them when I want to. I treat emails a little bit like old school cor- correspondence. 
uh, you know, I like, I imagine um, it was quite nice for people to receive a letter and then have a little bit of time to think about it and write a proper response and then send it. And then there'd be a little bit of time in between. There wasn't an expectation of instant instant sort of uh, response from people. And so I kind of treat it the same with myself. I'm not quite as slow as, as, as maybe snail mail, but I do, I don't always respond to things immediately. I like to sort of think about something and give a, a proper response when I get the time. So, but yeah, first thing is emails and then I, and then I tackle a project that I think is going to be, yeah, pretty, um, or I, there's something that I need to do, whatever it is that I need to do. I, I go into that afterwards. I can, I can kind of relate with the emails, but I don't reply probably for a different reason because I think if it's important, they'll email me again. And then when I get the second email, I mark it as urgent. So that tried, I tried to keep my focus on task and off of email and think to myself, well, if I get a second email, then it's something that needs my attention. We actually used to live together at university and one thing I noticed about you is that you're very self-driven and a self-starter and you, you know, you're very good at just getting on with stuff. Whereas I was a serial procrastinator and found it really hard to get on with work. It'd be good to talk a little bit about maybe your background because you studied German, Spanish, international relations, and, and then have had sort of a long list of different jobs in different industries leading up to becoming head of marketing at startup. And then you've made a transition to filmmaking can you talk us through a little bit about that journey and uh, how it came about? Quite an interesting rap sheet, I suppose. Yeah, so obviously we went to university together, but um, yeah, before university, I worked in radio. Uh, I worked for a company called GCAP Media. I've now transitioned to a company called Global. So Global Radio, they own Capital FM, Heart, ton of things, massively affiliated with ITV. Um, and I, at the time, I worked on their Heart brand. Um, I was just doing bits and bobs, bit of production, bit of promo work, um, all around dog's body making tea uh, but it was great such an awesome first job to have I was 16 and it was amazing and then yeah went to uni and obviously yeah like you said I did German Spanish and international relations which was probably the meatiest degree I, I could have ever chosen felt like doing three degrees uh, de three degrees at the same time and they were so unrelated you know two separate languages other than the fact that they're both languages they have nothing in common and then international relations so politics it was pretty mental I well I managed so I was very very lucky because I got to do a, um, a year abroad so I spent split that time between Germany and Spain and yeah it was kind of beforehand before then I, I was really interested in the idea of joining maybe the foreign office and becoming a translator or something along those lines um, but yeah, doing translating, sorry, translating for a, a, a Spanish ministry kind of, yeah, it, it changed my mind about things a little bit really wasn't for me. Uh, and not that it's a bad thing or anything. I just found that I, I didn't have the concentration levels or anything like that to kind of sit and look at, uh, something so intricately and picking out the nuances in, in things it was just really really complex and I mean where I was working as well as and I worked for a, the Ministry of Science and Innovation so I was translating radiation manuals it wasn't exactly you know easy <laughs> easy material and I knew nothing about radiation beforehand and then all of a sudden I became this radiation expert in from Spanish to English it was so bizarre anyway um yeah after after university I pivoted sort of back to music which was yeah music was always something that I've had a passion for and real interested in real interest in and that kind of moved me into the events world 
and yeah, I'm, in that world, I sort of became a planner and an event producer um, and a marketer. And I always enjoyed marketing and I felt like it was something that I was pretty good at. I'd say I'm a pretty like hands-on kind of person, like you said, to some extent. I, I feel driven at times, not all the time, and I certainly like procrastinating. So yeah, they we've definitely got that in common. But um, yeah, I always enjoyed marketing and um I just think it was something that I was pretty good at. Um, and so it was, I got to sort of do marketing for different events. And at one point we sent out a text message to like a million people. It was a pretty crazy thing to have happened. And yeah, it was, it was like doing digital marketing campaigns before digital marketing became like a serious thing. And it was super fun. Um, but as you probably can imagine, the, the, the world of music isn't as glitzy and glamorous as it's made out to be in TV and stuff. And you you end up sort of just working with mad people, working mad hours, and everything in your world just slightly becomes slightly mad as well. I started grinding my teeth and realized that, yeah, my mental health was probably, probably wasn't as good as it, it should have been for someone my age. I was just stressed all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I decided to to pivot again and and that was the sort of time when the startup world was was booming and everyone was you know talking about startups and startup this startup that so yeah i pivoted and pivoted into that i think one of the things that's like really beautiful about startups is that you learn things so fast you have to be hands-on as a person um and the company that i was working with was venture backed uh they had some really, really lovely um, VCs and the people on the team were really nice. Um, they were keen to experiment and uh, they had me doing everything and anything, which really suited me because I just love trying new things and experimenting. Um, and so, yeah, my day was, was so varied. I'd be writing blogs and then the next thing I was making sort of commercials and doing intro videos and animations and and yeah, there was so much variety in, in every day, you know, I guess, yeah, became a, a, a full on Adobe suite. I'm not going to say expert, but I definitely had all of those open at any one time, Photoshop, InDesign, Premiere. And then I was using Excel at the same time. So yeah, it was, it was fun. And um, I think what I found was like startup, it's, it's not really for the faint of heart. Would you agree with that? Oh, I completely agree. I think, like you say, the pressure and the stress and the fact that you're juggling maybe five, six different things at once isn't suited to everybody. And the people that do do it, maybe, you know, they don't want to do that for the longest time because it's it's a lot to take on. And like you say, you had all the, the, all, all the Adobe suite open in one day and you're jumping between different things which is great at the time. And whilst you're in it, it's invigorating and it's exciting because you're learning so much. But I think that, you know, you reach a point where you just can't sustain that level of output. I couldn't agree more. It's, 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 I think most people, unless you've done startup already or a small business for yourself, then most people go into startup and you're probably quite soft and, I guess my feeling is is that if you can survive that, then you'll have thick skin pretty soon and you have to be prepared to lose like at least nine times out of 10 as a marketer or anyone in startup, you know? 
you've got way less money. Uh, you've got way less resources than the other companies or the people or the guys that you're trying to compete with and trying to unseat. And so you kind of just make do, don't you? And um, yeah, or you don't. You don't make do and you leave. I, was, I remember reading a stat. It was a few years ago. It's probably changed now. But um, yeah, there was a stat that the sort of the average turnaround of a person or in startup uh, on your team is between 12 and 18 months before they sort of, you know, leave and move on or leave and move to a different industry. And yeah, I guess in my case, I didn't. I, I stuck about stuck about with the same company for a long time. I guess what I found was that there were moments of real deep discomfort and real deep unhappiness um, with what I was doing. Not with what I was doing, but just sort of, I, I just felt like I was missing something, like really, really missing something. And so, yeah, I wanted to move in another direction into something that I really loved. And so, yeah, I sort of began working on uh, stuff in my free time and things that I had passions for. And yeah, that was that's my sort of startup career long-winded i'm sure <laughs> but yeah <laughs> no i think from someone on the outside it could sound completely unconventional to to go from um uh, the background that you studied in languages and basically politics then to going into marketing for events and music-based events and then to a head of marketing that i mean i you can see some kind of progression there but for people that know you and know how creative you are and the way that you work I think it makes complete sense that you went through that cycle and then realized that what your passion was was filmmaking I think it's pretty it's a testament to you as well that you stuck at it for so long and acquired all these skills now that you are an independent filmmaker what has the biggest challenge in that transition been that's a good question really good question I think the biggest challenge is in the transition is knowing and accepting that you're going to be earning significantly less than you are than you were um, and you probably will be in that position for quite a while but ultimately you will be happier and so as an example I was on I was, I'd say I was on decent money before I left my job um, uh, as a full-time head of marketing and um, and like you know I, I had a I lived in London and I enjoyed nights out I went to bars and we had meals out quite frequently and trips around the country visiting people and holidays going to Europe and stuff and if we could afford it going to the states and um, like far east Asia and that and yeah enjoying life treats new gadgets all the fun things that we all really enjoy and like and instantly you have to give that up at least to begin with you know you need to be prepared for financial worry you, you, you're not always going to be secure and financial security is one of those those key things to um us being you know happy as humans um and so there is a bit of worry with that um and it's you know even when i did it a few years ago now it was still turbulent it's equally as turbulent now if not more turbulent um and i'm in no way shape or form uh stable at this point it's just you just never are as, a, as an independent person uh, working for yourself yeah, I guess before I transitioned, I, I really molded over for like one or two years. And I think finally it came down to a book that my mum bought me. It's called When to Jump by Mike Lewis. I'm sure you could probably link it to someone, but if not, Google it. 
when to jump by Mike Lewis. Um, and I still have this book on my shelves in my office. And the funny thing was, is that I used to sort of read it on my commute to and from work. And so, yeah, I, I did this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a paranoid person, but I was a little bit worried that someone might see it in my bag or someone would see me, one of my work colleagues would see me on the train and that I, <laughs> they'd see this big old book with the with the words on it yeah when yeah, to jump that's so funny if the job you have isn't the life you want and so anyway i took a load of sellotape um like electrician's tape and covered it over about six times so that no one could make out and people would look at me like what is wrong with your book but anyway it made me feel a lot more comfortable you were on the tube reading it. yeah on the tube and like <laughs> i had it in my bag in offices and stuff and people would be looking at me like what is this guy reading um, and the fact that it was covered in tape just made people even more curious about it. I had one guy ask me anyway, but this book was a real eye opener. Uh, it, it, it totally changed my perspective on things. And I think I really needed to read it before I could sort of digest what it was that I was going to be doing. Um, and it sounds a bit dramatic because um, ultimately all it was is sort of leaving my job and going to do my other thing. But in your own world, these, these little things, um, to seemingly little things to other people on the outside are mountains in your own head um, and it becomes it can, completely consumes what it is that you think about um, and so yeah this this book uh, it's a sort of a series of stories about various um, jumpers or people who transition from the nine to five to sort of pursue what it is that they want to do um, and I think what's interesting about it is that each story is different and no one of these jumps is, uh, are the same um, and not all of them worked out, which I think is really important to recognize as well. I'm so glad that this guy did because you just need to know that, yeah, not every one of these stories is going to be a happy ending. Um, you know, a couple of the people, one person did the jump, realized they didn't actually like the instability and then went back to what it was that they did. And they were lucky enough to go back into what it was that they were doing. So, yeah, but looking through it, it encouraged me to prepare the right way so you know i started putting money aside um i started to put in some groundwork building foundations for what it was when i was going to do when i left um and there's like a whole whole load of things and actually the copy that i've got is full of sort of notes and pencil and highlighter highlighted passages and stuff and um, there's a couple which i've pulled out which i thought if, if it's okay with you i was going to read a couple yeah, um, yeah absolutely i think it's pretty relevant so um, this one is it's talking about um, a big question. So, yeah, to address this big question, I challenge myself to answer a series of smaller ones. What am I most afraid of? Am I willing and ready to give up my paycheck? What do I need to do to finally take this leap of faith? How will I realize my dreams? What does that mean to me? Uh, what will my look like? Um, sorry, what will my life look like once I make the jump? And so that one I highlighted, and it's got scribblings all around it. But um, it kind of it, it it takes those things that, that that huge question of what it is that you want to do, and and just kind of help puts it into bite sized chunks, which allow you to kind of make more rational decisions and not have to think of it think of it in such a huge um, light. And then the other one that I had was, um, yeah, don't rush, uh, don't be in a rush to take the next step. Slow your steps, uh, internalize and reflect on what your gut is saying. And I think that's really important. It's you need to follow your gut on this one. Uh, if you're somebody who's considering making a jump or going to become a, a, a you know, self-employed person or freelance or 
follow your dreams and build a company like you are. Um, and yeah, the third one that I highlighted was uh, jumping is good. It's euphoric. It's scary. But the fear is outweighed by the joy of owning your own actions, taking responsibility. When you hit tough times in your jump, don't look at it as a hard time. Look at it as one more step. And I think that's when I was doing this as well. It was good to hear other people talking about how, you know, their their experience with the jump and that, yeah, you are going to hit tough times. But it's just it's, you know, it's one more step. It's one more rep, as uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger would say. And you've got to keep going through that. Uh, and it's so cheesy that no pain, no gain thing, but it's so true. Um, and I think the last one, um, which was really stood out to me, was um, I realized that I didn't really want to find myself in that last group of almost jumpers. I didn't want to end up in a situation where I'd be telling someone, hey, maybe this would have worked. Maybe I would have, uh, but I never tried. Uh, that seemed like a much worse outcome than to have said, hey, I gave it my best shot. and Here's what happened. And I think... Yeah, for me, that was the thing that pushed me over the edge. I was like, right, all that can happen is I just fall fall on my ass and then I have to get back up again. And I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by people and family who are supportive enough to, uh, who I know, um, you know, without even thinking about it, that they would help me back up. And I think we, you need that. You need a support network. Yeah, I think We're you're doing. totally right. And I've, I mean, I've completely had those moments as well where you know we were starting v-rail and you just feel overwhelmed by the task in front of you you know you're leaving behind a solid salary you're going into the unknown and it's it's really scary actually i think i really would have liked to have had that book before doing it i think it would have made a lot of sense and made made me actually make sense of a lot of thoughts I was having. And basically, like you said, I think it sounds amazing to be able to take these mountains and make them bite-sized, achievable steps to to achieve the jump. Uh, honestly, if anyone is considering doing this, then have a read of that. There's some other books I would recommend as well. Another one is called um, Minimalism by Greg McEwen. Um, another brilliant book. I've read that like, six times now um and i come back to it whenever i feel like things are, are piling up on me because it, it just sort of talks about reducing things to those bite-sized chunks and filtering out the things that you don't really need um well yeah sorry going back to your original question i've really gone around the houses with this um ultimately yeah i kind of made that decision um to, to to transition and i spoke with my employers at the time we had like a, an open and frank discussion um, with what it was that I wanted from life uh, and what I wanted to do. And the outcome was pretty, I wouldn't say unique, but um, it was definitely very perfect, perfect for my situation. And, and yeah, to this day, I still continue to work for that company for either one or two days a week um, as a marketing consultant and, and general all round sort of advisor. Um, I know the business well. I really love the people there, so it became an awesome way for me to continue working with them, um, uh, stay in touch, and and yeah, remain a part of the sort of tech startup world, um, which yeah, I, I, I love, um, and I still get to continue doing the things that I want to do and build my own business um, with this solid um, financial safety net, I suppose. Um, one of the things that 
I've learned is there's nothing worse than being an insolvent creative. Yeah, so, I think yeah. that's the the biggest challenge for everybody is being able to pay the bills whilst transitioning to their passion project or or you know like you say becoming self-employed running their own business it's i think maybe that's even the biggest sort of the block in people's heads um when taking that jump that's that's probably one of the biggest at least for for us it definitely was that you know looming over you money money is always looming over you have so many commitments you know it's whether it's friends or a house or a mortgage or all those things it's certainly easy to do it when you're younger um i have so much more respect for people who decide to um to to do their own thing when they've got kids or or a family home or a mortgage etc and they decide to finally make the jump in the direction that they really ultimately want to go um so much time and respect for that um not to say that it's any any you know what we're doing or what people what anyone does is any harder or easier it's all perspective but it's just it's so yeah we're so we're ruled by a world of money and it's really hard not to factor that into your life um and and it certainly affects happiness in a lot of ways too uh, when it comes to security of what yeah totally and that i think you've nailed it there (laughs) we live in the world of money and it rules us but i think it's testament to you that i mean along the way you have taught yourself a lot of skills to help you get to where you are. You, I mean, you're self-taught in a lot of um, like the Adobe suite and, sure. you know, all these creative tools to, to help you get there. And I mean, what's probably is the best skill that you've picked up along the way to help you or, you know, what was the, the skill that you've applied, applied to that to, to help you make that transition? well that's very uh generous um what you said there but i think yeah it's a it's a it's a tough question um because ultimately you know you apply everything that you learn uh, in life to what it is that you do now i was talking to my um mum just earlier when we were talking about you know the gift of hindsight and she was saying how um back in the day if she knew what she knew now she'd be in a totally different place and it's the same for everyone we all think the same things but um i think yeah the the actual skills which i can apply and i do apply now um is i i love a budget i absolutely love a budget i love tweaking an excel spreadsheet i get kicked out of it it's a bit sick and twisty but uh yeah you'll find yeah, get me a Google Google Drive, Google Sheet open and let me do my sums and formulas and I get massive kicks out of it, especially if you can colour the cells. So um yeah, I think <laughs> to make stuff happen you need to you need to budget. Um you need whether it's a, a business or a video or um, you know, a full film, whatever, it, it won't happen unless there's money and um it's where you place that money. That's the most important thing. So yeah, that's one of the things. Um, I think I love getting into Photoshop. Um, I love um, I love playing visual concepts. Um, I love trying to get an idea out of out of just messing around with images from um, you know that I've taken on my phone or whatever. Just trying to come up with something. It's it's about playing with things and creating it's play it's the idea of play um i've heard podcasts talking about the power of play before and i'm sure you've had that as well where you get a little bit carried away you might just be 
tinkering with something and then all of a sudden three hours have gone and you've made something and it's kind of it doesn't mean anything it's not something that you might put out anywhere but you're really happy with it and that is the power of play kids do it for hours and human well as humans we need to play and and as adults we don't play enough and so yeah for me it's playing with you know a camera or a drone or um you know editing something and I, I was the thing that I was just doing before this was I was messing around in After Effects and you know having some fun there and yeah I think it's there's, there's there's so many lessons and I think it's just about applying all of those things that um you have learned and experienced and, and making use out of them in what it is that you're doing now and so yeah whether it's budgeting or just creating things in the tools that you use try and, and, and make use of it as best as you can I don't really know if that's an answer feel like I've waffled a little bit on that one but play <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty good but i mean i totally cannot relate to the budgeting thing uh emily is in charge of all the finances and that is definitely for the best uh, i mean for me yeah very wise i remember oh, I, I think i lived no i lived in my overdraft pleasant. for four years it was a sorry state of affairs and i'm very lucky to now have a partner who can keep me afloat when it comes to that and just take care of that without me having to you know wonder where that invoice has gone or why I'm getting a a late fee again and I'm terrible absolutely terrible so I, I, I definitely can't relate to enjoying spreadsheets but I I, I agree with you yeah you get, no, get kicks out of kicks, it. but I, I agree with the play thing because I mean that's the same for us. We've, you know, you run a business, you have to learn a lot of things. And it, I mean, you're premier guy, premier pro, and I've learned final cut and it's the same thing. I'll just edit some videos together, try and make some animations. And, you know, a couple of hours go by, you've made something. It usually for me, it's terrible, but I've learned a new tool or a new skill along the way. And I think that's really important as well when you're, when you're starting out on your own with that journey, you really have to be a sponge and absorb all these different skills and go out of your way to learn them. And have you ever used YouTube tutorials? Cause I'm crazy about them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I mean, if I'm not on YouTube, I, I think I can look at my browser right now. Um, I have three YouTube um, tabs open right now. And the thing that I was doing before, I was just watching a YouTube tutorial on, how to do something in After Effects. I love YouTube. Someone said to me, if there was, you know, one thing that you could save if the world was going into sort of, you know, uh, apocalyptic mode and there were only one thing you could save afterwards, it was it would be YouTube in its current form. There is nothing you can't learn on there. It is incredible. I am absolutely the biggest YouTube fan. I love it. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of tut on YouTube as well, um, but yeah, nine times out of ten, you'll find you'll find what you're looking for. Someone has tried that you're doing. Um, I've I'll give you a, a bizarre example, uh, and it is related because I do write. So I um, years and years ago, I bought a typewriter. I don't know why I was really keen on doing it. I was walking around when I lived in London at the time. I was living in, uh, in West London. I was wandering around. And I went to this sort of antique shop and I went in and there was this typewriter there and it is, I love it. I've still got it. Um, and I saw it and thought, oh, I want that. I really want that. 
I'm going to get it. So I got it. And ever since then, I've kind of picked up a few typewriters and recently I've gotten a few more um, and I bought one and it, it was a, literally just a hunk of metal that came in and bits were broken and all over the place. And it's a typewriter from probably 1956. So the manual is gone. The parts don't exist anymore. And uh, it was broken. It wasn't working at all. And so I went on YouTube. And I was like, put in the name of the typewriter. And this guy, some guy had made a 45-minute video on how to completely take it apart and reservice it and all sorts. And I watched that. And I paused and played it constantly. And it took me about a week to do. In the, uh, But yeah, I, I completely took apart and put together a typewriter. And it was all because of YouTube. Uh, so yeah, I feel like I've just you know built a space so, station. Such a niche video, but amazing because there's obviously an audience for it. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and the problem was he had a very strong accent, so it was quite difficult to understand completely. But yeah, I got. Are you writing it. on the typewriters now? Do you do your your writing work on there, or is it more for when you're maybe writing letters to people or that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's. I think a lot of people think I'm super pretentious because I use typewriters and I don't care. Um, Tom Hanks uses typewriters. It's not just because Tom Hanks uses them, but um, he seems like a pretty cool guy. Um, and the way that he spoke about them, he speaks of them, about them with such like love and affection that um, his sort of passion for typewriters is pretty infectious. Um, I've gotten a few people on typewriters myself. Um, but yeah, I use them mainly. I do write letters to people. So if it's a birthday or like a thank you message or just a, hey, uh, how are you getting on message? And yeah, I'll pull out a typewriter for that. But most of the time I use it when I'm starting a concept. I've never written something huge on one because it's just not practical. Uh, you're bound to make mistakes. You can't hit backspace on a typewriter. But I think what a typewriter does, which in the same way that writing by hand does, is um, it forces you to think uh, your 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 hands or the typewriter can't type as fast as you think so um, nowadays we can on our computers you know we can type as quickly as we think so um, we tend to just put out whatever is in our mind and it happens as it goes whereas a typewriter it's such a such a long process uh, of hitting each one and each thing has to come back and you can't type that fast so it forces you to really think and focus on what it is that you're, you're you you want to do so I use it for that. I use it because I can come up with a concept on a typewriter that will probably take me about, you know, two days longer on a computer because I'm hitting backspace or editing whilst I'm going. So for that, you can't beat it. Yeah. I think it sounds like a bit of a bit of like a creative outlet, like getting that focus and like you say, for starting a project, it sounds amazing, but does it get a bit tedious? <laughs> never no 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 definitely not it is uh it is a great it is such a great process yeah you know it can be a little bit annoying um no who am i kidding it's not annoying at all it is just a thing you know if you're looking to get something done fast don't use a typewriter but if you want to really focus on an idea or, or come up with something super original then pull a typewriter out or get a piece of paper and a pen and work on it like that because you don't get distractions of tabs or, you know, things dinging in the background or, you know, an inkling to go and see a video that's just been released on YouTube or whatever it is that you're doing. 
and other things that you're doing you just sort of focus on that and so for me i and i reckon you should get one because you said you're a procrastinator and i know you are so i'm going to send you a typewriter i reckon and i'll find you one and i'll, I'll mail it to you <laughs> yeah do, you can i'm not sure how much usage it will get but it'll definitely look good on a window ledge or something Both. <laughs> you can't use it like that no i don't accept that you have All to right. use it properly okay i'll make a deal if you send one i will write <laughs> something once a week on it that's a good compromise <laughs> yeah um, so I've, well obviously writing is a bit of a labor of love for you but you're also directing producing uh editing camera operator i think you've pretty much done it all do you have a favorite sort of uh, aspect of filmmaking oh well that's a pretty impossible question to answer um it's like asking you know what's your favorite song or what's your favorite film um i think i enjoy all of those things greatly so well yeah i enjoy all of them greatly but i think the top three have to be writing uh, directing and editing um and yeah those three together they they just feel like a beginning middle and an end for me you know you start writing something and you're coming up with the idea of what's ultimately going to be filmed um you direct it so you you know you're getting what it is out of it so it reflects the writing that you've done um and then you're editing it so that you're turning the, the ultimate vision of what you've written and directed into a final product um and yeah editing is probably the hardest of the well they're all difficult for their own reasons but i find editing much harder because there's just it's like a it's like a cake you know it's like the ingredients that you have all the ingredients and depending on what order they, they go in you can either end up having a, a lovely um fluffy tasty sponge cake or you end up having just a pile of mush um and so yeah just because you have the first two done well doesn't mean that you're gonna have the last one oh, sorry it's gonna end up good on the last thing so i guess yeah i enjoy those three because you have the most control over the final outcome um of, or, of the original concept with um the outcome as well if that makes sense so yeah again not a proper answer to your question but um yeah it's it's yeah those those three out of those yeah yeah no that makes complete sense and what i mean obviously it takes a good writer to write the script and you need someone with the creative vision for the direction good writer, and then (laughs) um, for the editing you need someone with the technical expertise to edit uh but what sort of do you maybe percentage of the final outcome do you attribute to say the camera equipment or you know the microphone how important is that to the final product that is a good question as well i think yeah equipment is really important to some extent um it's it's definitely uh it's definitely one of the key things to, it's it's nice to shoot a good image let's face it you don't want no one wants to look at something that's been shot on a potato um and no one wants to look at shaky footage so yeah having good equipment is important um but i think there's a there's a tendency to focus more on equipment than story um and that is sad really uh it doesn't Equipment can't make a story better, 
having a clear image doesn't make a, a, a crap story good. It just makes it more visible. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I get excited about equipment. I get excited about, you know, I'd love a new, I'd love a new Mac. My one is great. I love it, but it's a little bit slow from time to time. So I think to myself, oh, wouldn't it be nice to buy a new Mac? Or uh, I don't even have my own camera at the moment, DSLR. I use I use a good friend of mine. Well, you know him as well, obviously. But um, I use his DSLR for shooting on. And uh, recent projects I've done has been it's been hired gear, um, which you spend a lot of money on. Um, but it doesn't. It, ultimately, it comes down to what you, what you, what is, what the concept is, and um, and whether or not the the equipment will fulfil what the story that the concept is is trying to, the narrative that you're trying to tell uh, or make. So, yeah, I think um, story is story is definitely king. Perfect. That was uh, it was a little bit of a leading question because I was trying to get you to go towards that answer because you've just finished working on a project with the musician Henry Green where you created the you you know you created the concept and you filmed and shot it and directed and edited and you had a crazy camera on the shoot the visuals are insane but it would be interesting to hear from you about the planning on the creative side of getting a video shoot up and running and sort of what was that experience like um it was it was brilliant um please interrupt me if i start waffling because I, I could probably talk about this for ages it was quite recent um so yeah i was working with um good friend um and yeah really talented musician henry green uh we shot a video for his track realign um and the concept came about i remember i was toiling with it from for a while probably a late 2019 so henry had sent me some um some some pieces of the song so unfinished but he said here you go have a listen to this see what you think see what sparks fly um and originally i it was such a tough tough thing it's it's such an expansive song you have to listen to it um and i'm sure you, you'll be able to put a bit of the track in here but it it's it goes it has such a journey to it such a rhythm um, and so, yeah, coming up with the concept took a long time. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get to this. It's just not going to work. Uh, I went over to Henry's and myself, Henry, uh, Jay, uh, who does all the design for Henry and um, Hattie, who was the DOP on the shoot. Um, we were sitting together and we were sort of mulling ideas over. And in my head, I just kept on coming to the desert. I was like, ah, this should be shot in the desert. It feels so expensive and, and just ridiculous um you know and, and the desert conjures up so many images um i've never been to the desert proper i've been to a few places in the middle east um and i've been to morocco and uh, didn't go to the sahara but i i've seen so many cool videos um of the sahara desert i thought it's got to be done in the sahara it's going to look stunning what an amazing place to film a video about um, sort of the expansiveness and loneliness of your mind and sort of just using that as the backdrop for that story and narrative. And yeah, ultimately uh, looked into what it what it kind of takes to film in Morocco. Um, and it's not as easy as you might think. It's expensive. We had, a, we had to fly crew out. We would have had to get crew out on flights and we'd have needed hotels. We would have needed transportation to and from 
um, Marrakesh to the Sahara, which is about nine hours in a car. Uh, it started to look super prohibitive. And the thing that cut off, like literally it, it shot it dead in the water, was when we looked into flying a drone in Morocco. Um, it is illegal to fly a drone in Morocco. I don't entirely, I'm not entirely sure why. I'm sure it's to do with, um, you know, uh, their sort of internal security services and things like that. But yeah, you are not allowed to fly a drone in Morocco and you get in serious trouble if you do. Uh, you need licenses and all sorts. And it just wasn't, wasn't feasible based on the budget that we had. And so, yeah, I felt pretty deflated after doing all of that. Um, and of course, I was working in my spreadsheets uh, with a budget and that was all fun and games for me, but it was pretty deflating when I saw what the final total would have been. And of course, when we weren't allowed to fly a drone. So we need an alternative um, for this. And I started looking around um, and I was sort of stuck on the desert. I thought the desert, it needs to be here. Where can we go? And then looked at America and we're like, oh God, that's just even more expensive. Um, it'll be mad. Yeah, you can get cheap flights to America, you know, flying Norwegian or whatever. You can get to LA return for you know, 400 pounds or whatever. But still, that was way too much money for the crew that we needed and what we needed to do over there. And the jet lag just wouldn't have been worth it. Um, and then I remembered uh, the Canary Islands. Um, and I started looking around the Canary Islands and stumbled upon, and I love Google Maps, satellite view. And I was, I just stumbled upon this patch on uh, the island of Fuerteventura. And I looked at it, I thought, that's a desert. That is a desert. That's that looks incredible. And I mean, technically it is the desert. Technically it's the Sahara. Um, you know, it's where all the, all the Sahara dust gets swept over in winds and it gets taken over the sea to, to the Sahara, to, to the island of um, Fuerteventura. And so I kept on looking around in Fuerteventura. I thought, oh, that looks amazing. You've got these huge sand dunes, which fit in perfectly for the, for the Sahara. We don't need the, an entire, you know, 2000 kilometers of of sahara desert just to film this music video um and then i carried on looking around as well and you know there's dead or uh, extinct volcanoes which look incredible and then there's these canyons and all these other things and i i just found it and i thought right this is it this is the spot looked at flights the flights were very reasonable for you know the amount of crew we were taking and we were going light so we said we'll have four of us we'll have um henry We'll have the DOP and we'll have a cam op. And um, so uh, our cam operator is a guy called James Norden uh, from Up the Image. Really nice guy. Worked with him on other projects as well. So that was a no-brainer. And Hattie Ellis um, was the director of photography who I've um, worked with on another creative project. And she's also Henry's um, uh, partner and just amazing, um, super creative person. And yeah, that was it. Dream team. Let's fly. So booked flights, booked hotels. And um, I was trying to be super clever as well about um, like food and accommodation, etc. And realized that Fuerteventura is one of those places where there are all-inclusive resorts and it's out of season. So we managed to stay in an all-inclusive resort, um, four of us, including all food and all beverages, including alcoholic beverages, isn't it, Dad? Um, four. <laughs> <laughs> for about 400 so about 100 each 100 pounds each for four days so it was about 25 pounds a night it we were basically going staying there for free it felt like um, and so we had breakfast lunch and dinner all included 
Um, and every single one of our locations that we shot at was a 15 minute drive away from uh, the hotel. And um, so, yeah, we it was a really, really cost effective shoot. Um, I won't go into all the details, but yeah, we got the camera and all the other equipment um, for a really good price as well. Um, and it it held, it it held up. It was a, it's a cinema camera. It was shot on a Blackmagic Ursa Mini 2, I think. Um, and yeah, we, we shot in four days and we came back and uh, edited the following week and then we put it out. Um, but what an experience, what an incredible experience. We were getting up super early um, to beat the sunrise and the concept was around every single thing was going to be shot either during sunrise and the, and the golden hour at sunrise or sunset and the golden hour before sunset. So it really limited the amount of time that we had, especially over four days. Um, but it, it it was part of the narrative and I think it's worth watching that if you haven't seen it because it, it kind of tells the story of um, you know obviously it's a lovely time to shoot as well but it just means that you've got such short amount of time such a short amount of time to to film in especially when you're closer to the equator so um, yeah it was it was quite an experience and um, yeah yeah I can imagine I've seen the shots and they are amazing and the song's really great as well I think they the, the combination of them together creates this amazing visual audio piece. Um, and definitely the, I mean, the, the golden hour it, on that camera gives this amazing, amazing image. There's one shot of Henry on his knees in the sea. It's re- it really portrays the emotion. And I'm just wondering, now you've just said you were <laughs> tied against time. How was that for stress? I mean, he must have been in and out of the water or did you get it first take? Uh, well, we only had one take because he only had one outfit. So we, it was tight because it was the last morning that we had to shoot. Um, we were literally flying the same day. So we had no opportunity to do it uh, in the evening. And so we left it to the last morning and that's all we wanted to shoot that day. So we got everything else a few days before, um, different parts of the island, going to the canyon, going to the volcano, et cetera, shooting at night and a couple of shots at night. Um, but that last shot, we had one take to get him in the water and his clothes not to be wet. It was quite, it was quite difficult. And obviously, you know, this is the, this is the Atlantic ocean in, uh, at the time March. So yeah, it was March, March the 10th in the Atlantic ocean and you know, nothing really prepares you for, for the cold of, uh, that a winter has given the ocean. So yeah, I think it was pretty cold for him, but he got in. Um, and I just said, look, we need to make sure that we get this, this first bit of him going in. So shoot at the highest frame rate that we can. Let's go static with it. Let's put it on a tripod and then we'll get follow up with everything else that we can afterwards. And so we just needed to make sure we get the first shot right. And then we did some follow up, um, you know, pick up shots uh, once he was in there and, um, you know, got the sea uh, lapping at him. And, and then at the, the point that he falls to his knees, etc. Obviously, it's it's quite a dramatic moment in the song as well as a whole strings are in there. And, and then it finishes on this one shot which was uh oh yeah i love it it's a drone shot um of from i think it's about 150 meters it's the legal limit it was i was at the legal limit in spain which is 150 meters um and there was no one else around and it was just looking straight down on him um 
and the waves just seem to go on forever and he's just this small dot and it's like it was yeah it was a real that was an amazing shot to finish on for me um and yeah perfect use of drone yeah i think that's one of the great things about drones is that they give this real sense of perspective or you know real situational awareness of what's going on from a this different angle which you just can't create with a normal um camera i think you, you had a few drone shots throughout the piece obviously the last one was your favorite how i don't know maybe a bit of advice for people how to really implement drone shots for their maximum you know reward for the you know the overall film yeah um okay i'm, I'm sort of off the cuff here um, but for me, drone is so, like you said, it is all about perspective. It, it gives you an angle that you won't see as an normal person. Um, if you're looking, you know, if you're, whether you're looking at a field straight across at a field and there's a tree in it, you're looking at it from 90 degrees and that what you see is what you get. You put a drone up and it completely changes everything. It looks incredible. You can see all the other things around it and it really gives a sense of, of scale to what it is that you're looking at. And I think it's important to recognize where drone is useful, where it is aiding a story. Um, again, it comes down to sort of story being king, really. Is, is, this, is this going to aid my story? And so whether, you know, whether it's me shooting, um, flying a drone, Henry on his knees, that aided the story because it, it showed where he was in the final moment. Or whether it's you're talking about a, a city and you know, the things that are going on in the nightlife in the city. And then so you show the city um, as the lights are sort of changing and it's sunset. That aids the story. I think it's really important to, to get a shot that encapsulates what it is, the, the ultimate message that you're trying to, to tell. It's, it can be used gratuitously, and I'm not a fan of that. If if you can if you can use a drone shot that has um, that, that aids your story and keeps it, um, relevant, then it is going to it's going to aid the story tenfold, um, and it's something that a normal camera will never be able to do. You will never be able to get that kind of level or perspective. So super valuable. Um, it was invaluable to our shoot. We wouldn't have told the same story if we hadn't have used it. Uh, one of the, the things that we wanted to sort of tell with our story was the similarity between the waves in the sand versus the waves in the sea. And so in the video, this we kind of cut between um, this same shot, which is actually, it's just a slow-mo of, of sand falling down a dune. But when you look at it, it very much resembles um, what a wave looks like. Um, and then we cut to some drone shots above the, the sand and you can see the same sort of similar waves. And then it finally ends up in, um, with Henry in the ocean. Um, and that was to sort of uh, or symbolize uh, and be a metaphor for the fact that um, the place where he wanted to be in his head was always accessible and it, all, it was always there. It was just all about perspective. So uh, it's kind of, yeah, obviously that's an arty thing that we wanted to do, but we would only have been able to do that with drone. I think that's really good perspective. And I, that's a question I really wanted to ask you because I, I knew that you, you're not a huge advocate of drones, but I know that you know how to use them correctly. So I think that was really good to get that insight. Um, so you've just finished up working with Henry um, on what was an awesome project. I'm going to link the video down below so everyone can check it out. What's next for you with your filmmaking career? Have you got anything lined up? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at the moment, I've got, well, I've got two things that I'm really excited about. Um, the first is a 30-minute short um, that I've written, and I'll be co-directing um, as well. Um, actually, right now, that should be in post-production. Um, but sadly, because of um, COVID-19, uh, we still haven't shot yet. So the project is on standby um, until the government lifts uh, all the restrictions. But it's a, it's a brilliant story. It's the story of a mother um, and a son's struggle uh, with his heroin addiction, how addiction affects more than just the person. It affects the families and the friends and the people around that person. Um, and it's a really familiar story for, for many, many families in this country, in the ex-mining village communities um, in, in the UK, and I'm sure in other places as well. But this one is specifically going to be set in uh, Yorkshire. Uh, it's got an incredible cast um, and an incredible crew. Um, and I really can't wait to shoot and release that. Where will people yeah. be able to find that when it's out? Is it going to be a digital piece or where where will it be shown? Good question. So it's going to um, do the rounds at a number of festivals. So we've we've got a, a load of festivals lined up. But um, ultimately, the film is going to be called Coal in Their Veins. Um, and you can follow that on Instagram, Coal in Their Veins. And yeah, at the moment, there's there's not much on there because, like I said, we're in pre-production. But um, it will be something that you'll be able to follow and, and, and see later on down the line. Um, and as I said, brilliant cast and crew. And uh, I think it's a really interesting story. Very hard. It, it was difficult to write, actually. There were points in it where I found myself struggling to write this because it is it's dark. It's a dark topic. Um, and I've, I've kind of... I've written quite a few dark topic films and this certainly was one of them. And so, yeah, I think it will be, it, it'll tell a story which a lot, not a lot of people know about because very few people know uh, the impact that the mine closures had in this country. Yeah. When, when they shut them down um, in the late mm. 80s. It's a pretty important topic really to cover and great that people will be able to be able to maybe follow the, the process of you and the team creating it on that Instagram link. That's awesome. Uh, and sorry, yeah. And so the, the second thing that I'm working on um, is a, it's a new commission um, that I've been been uh, sort of negotiating and working, uh, having a load of meetings about, which but I'm, I'm super excited about. It's a feature length, um, so a feature length film. Um, I'm sort of writing it alongside a, a BAFTA writer. I won't tell you who it is just yet, but um, he and I are going to be writing this together um and it's a it's going to be set in the heart of gritty london so yeah that one's all a bit of a secret at the minute but um i'm sure there'll be plenty more to uh to come um try and update you <laughs> when that when that's come through so you're going to be writing alongside a bafta writer how how long has it been since you transitioned to become a filmmaker to having the opportunity to write with a BAFTA writer. I mean, that's got to be huge inspiration for anybody thinking about taking the, you know, the jump. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not quite fully got my head around it. Um, I'm, it's super exciting opportunity. Um, it's been uh, two years, I think, just about two years. It'll be two years this June. So, yeah, year and a half or so. Um, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I haven't been happier um, in terms of 
the work that I'm putting out and, and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing. I, I, I find, I think I've got a really good balance with the, my previous work and what I am doing now. So I'm, yeah, I couldn't recommend following uh, your passions more. I yeah, no, I think that's great. I think it's so inspirational and a great motivation to you. I mean, you're, well, you're the, uh, the poster boy for, for oh, maybe, we shouldn't say making it but for really getting pretty close and having a pretty special journey along the way i'll say you've made it when you know when, when, when i go to watch one of your films at the cinema then i'm gonna say that you've made it <laughs> um, i certainly don't think yeah i'm not definitely not in that boat i'm just i'm equally um i'm i'm, I'm I'm just floating out here trying to get by as well, but uh, it's it's an adventure, and that's what I think it's is equally as important is enjoying the adventure. If you if you're not enjoying that, then it's uh, it's all a bit of a waste anyway, because <laughs> you'll never get to where you want to be. You'll never enjoy that, so you've got to be happy whilst you're doing what it is that you're um, you're trying to get to. Yeah, totally. I I wonder if you have any nuggets of wisdom or maybe any practical tips or tricks for becoming a filmmaker or being a better filmmaker that we can sort of pass on to the listening audience? I think, yeah, if you're still here, then congratulations. Uh, I've waffled a hell of a lot. Um, But yeah, practical advice and wisdom certainly don't have much of that. But um, I think it's important, as I just said, really, to, to just highlight the fact that I'm still very much on this journey. I'm nowhere near. Um, my goals and aspirations are really much. I'm so, still miles away from where I would like to be. So I think um, whatever it is that I say, you've got to take with a pinch of salt. And I think there's two things. Honestly, uh, I really believe that story is king. I've said it about six times now. Um, a lot of people say that, but it really stuck with me whoever said it first and wherever I heard it first, but it stuck with me and it's, and I apply it to everything that I do uh, and everything that I've done since in storytelling in whatever form, what is the story? Why should I care um, as a, as a viewer or reader or a listener? Why should you care? You know, if there's no story, um, then no amount of beautiful footage or lovely vocabulary or fancy editing or, uh, incredible piloting will ever make a video or a film or a story, uh, a written story, good. It just won't. So that's my one thing, uh, and I really believe that. So if 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 I'm not practicing what I preach, then yeah, I'm at the moment I'm happy with what I'm putting out there, and there's a lot of stuff in my bin. So just put it. Let me tell you that for starters. And then yeah, I think the other thing is the last thing for me is just to learn from 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 others. Definitely. So like YouTube, follow YouTube videos and tutorials and and read about what others do in books and stuff. But I think it's really important to stick to your own principles and your own style. Um, your world, uh, the world that you live in, your eye, your viewpoints, whether they're political or you know uh, social or anything like that, they all add a different perspective to what it is that you do. And it's really important to make sure that you don't become a carbon copy beige seen that before creative in whatever form it is that you do so yeah explore things try new things um 
but ultimately you've got to stay true to what you believe in and, and your own style so you want to basically hone your storytelling skills and at the same time show your own personality through your work yeah it's it's funny because you know i'm reading quite a lot at the minute and i really i love um the style of certain authors so um graham green is one of them i think he's super interesting i've read a load of his old stuff and i just love how he writes obviously i, I don't write novels i'm not trying to write a novel because i think that would just be that would blow my mind away but yeah i really love a no, um his novels and i love the way that he, he uses uh words and so i i found myself when i was reading back on a few things i was like man i'm just emulating graham green here this is this is lame what am i doing and so i kind of had to can that and i stopped reading his books for a while i've not touched one for ages but I found myself being influenced by the things that are around me. And I think it's care- you have to be careful not to be over-influenced by the things that you consume. And we ultimately are. So, yeah, I think I want to kind of continue to keep my style, which I think uh, I don't. I haven't fully formed anyway. I'm just learning like everyone else. Still on the journey. But I, I think what's good to do is I'm going to put all of your previous work, which you've released, in a link in the show notes or below or wherever this is going to live basically you'll be able to find your work attached but is is there a place that people can find out about you or look you up or send you a message or get in contact with you what do you do twitter email what's the best place um i think the best place uh, is probably my instagram i really i like instagram um you know, everyone has their social media of choice. Uh, my Instagram is pretty good because it kind of gives you a, an idea of my eye. Um, and I kind of try to update it when I can. I was really bad at it. I'm getting better at it. So, yeah, Josh Aaron's underscore. Uh, you'll find it. Find me on there. Uh, I do have a website as well, uh, which is super, super pretentious. Uh, but you kind of it's good to have your own website, I think. Someone told me that, and so I've done one. So, yeah, you can find me at joshaarons.com as well. Nice. Perfect. I think we'll wrap it up there because this has been rolling for 77 minutes. So thank you so much for imparting all of your wisdom. I hope, I hope, there's, I hope there's some nuggets in there. And, um, yeah, if you made it this far, then allow me. <laughs> yeah, we, we went for much longer than we were anticipating. But, no, it was awesome. Great episode. Thanks for doing that. Pleasure. Hi everybody, just checking back in to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast. This was the first in a series of podcasts where we'll be having conversations with our friends and acquaintances from within our network. We hope that you found it interesting and please do subscribe so that you catch all future episodes. 